Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 32 through 43 will be our text this Lord's Day as we continue uh, to walk through the book of Acts together. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that in recent weeks we've been looking at the conversion and then ministry of Saul, and today we will pick up in Acts chapter 9 where Luke begins to return now to looking at the ministry of Peter. Uh, We'll return to seeing more about Saul's ministry in the coming chapters Uh, But for now, Luke takes us back to seeing Peter's ministry as Peter is now doing what many of the disciples are doing. They have spread out from Jerusalem and are proclaiming the gospel throughout that region. And today, as we look to this ministry that God calls Peter to, we will see uh, how he uses him rather miraculously uh, in the lives of two people. And as we study that, hopefully we'll learn more about uh, what that means for us today as the church of Jesus Christ. So if you're able, out of reverence for the word, if you would stand together uh, as I read for us from Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. This is what God's word tells us. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. If you would pray with me. Father God, we do ask in Jesus' name that you would bless this, your word, in our lives and that you would help us, Lord, today uh, to understand it and to respond to it. We pray for this in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) We have all likely seen... Uh, accounts on TV or read about accounts of those who uh, claim to be faith healers today. They come to large cities all over the world and they announce crusades and they invite people to come to these crusades and if they have enough faith, they claim that they might be healed. Uh, Perhaps you have watched these, perhaps you have even attended one before. What you may not have seen is an account that I read about not long ago from a a father whose son was born with a terminal illness. Uh, 
He consulted many doctors. He had turned everywhere he could to find a cure for his son. And then in a moment of desperation, he attended one of these crusades and later wrote about what we often don't see. And we often don't see uh, afterwards the line of hundreds of parents like this man leaving the same way that they came with their children still in their arms, with their loved ones still in a wheelchair, those who don't receive the healing that they had come looking for. As I read that article, I thought about this man and many others and thought about the question before the church today. What what does that say about our faith? What does that say about our Lord? What does it say about texts like Acts chapter 9 where we see Very clearly, the Lord healing someone, the Lord bringing someone back from the dead. How does this text then relate to the church today? And how does it relate to those of us who in times of suffering, in times when we've watched our loved ones suffer, have asked for the Lord to bring healing? Those are the things I want us to consider as we walk through this text today in hopes that we might better understand what it is the Lord was doing specifically here in Acts chapter 9, and how that relates to the church today. You see, oftentimes what happens is people come to texts like Acts chapter 9, and they say, well, well, look what the Lord did here. He healed this one man named Aeneas who was paralyzed. He, he brought Tabitha back from the dead. So if he did that here, how come he's not doing that now? Many times in looking at that, we we fail to stop and consider the the context of what's taking place in Acts. And so, I want to spend the first part of our time today looking at that context, looking at specifically why I believe we're seeing these things happen in the book of Acts, and then looking at how that relates to us today. Beginning with the first point that I've put there in your notes. What we learn when we study this text is... That God used healings and miracles to validate the message of the apostles in the early church. God used healings and miracles to to validate, to confirm, to attest the the message of the apostles in the early church. Now remember, in the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells the apostles they will be his witnesses. And then he charges them to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to share this gospel message. Now we know from the gospels, see references even in the book of Acts, that help us know that the disciples aren't the only ones who ever went and proclaimed a message that they said was from the Lord. That there were other people who claimed to have messages from the Lord. And so the question for the apostles then Given this charge by Jesus to go and be witnesses, how would the people know they were truly witnesses from the Lord? How would that message be confirmed? Well, there we see, among other things, the role of healings and miracles and signs and wonders like the ones we read about here in Acts chapter 9. That was one of the ways that the Lord confirmed this was indeed His message to be communicated by his apostles. We learn about that, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says to us. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. 
So the writer of Hebrews says very clearly that the gospel message that we receive today was first declared by the Lord Himself. Jesus spoke this message. Then, the writer of Hebrews tells us, it was attested to us by those who heard. So first you have the Lord communicating this message. Well, how would we receive that message later on? Then it was attested. That Greek word means it was confirmed. It was validated, the Scripture says, by those who heard. Specifically here, the writer of Hebrews is talking about those who heard this message from Jesus himself. These were the apostles. So the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus shared the gospel. That gospel then was confirmed by his apostles. The question is, how was it confirmed? Well, he continues to tell us that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So here the writer of Hebrews kind of unpacks this for us and says, listen, that there's a message that's been handed down to us. It was from the Lord. And there were those who were with the Lord who heard this message and then they, they shared it with us. And we can confirm this is the true message from the Lord. How? Through these signs and wonders that took place. That was the way that the Lord confirmed these were indeed His messengers. Mark tells us the same thing at the close of his gospel. In Mark chapter 16 verse 20. Where he says, And they, speaking again of the apostles, went out and preached everywhere. While the Lord worked with them, and confirmed the message, the same Greek word used in Hebrews 2, confirm the message by accompanying signs. So what we see taught by Mark in his gospel, by the writer of Hebrews, and consistently throughout the New Testament church, is that the apostles, in taking out the gospel message, one of the ways that message was confirmed, one of the ways that message was validated, was by the signs and wonders that came along with this message as they proclaimed it. And we see an example of that here in Acts chapter 9, where we find Peter, the text tells us, going to this town of Lydda. Lydda is modern-day Tel Aviv. It's actually where the Tel Aviv airport is today. This is the region that Peter had gone to to proclaim the gospel. And the Scripture tells us very clearly that there were already Christians there. It says he was going to visit the saints there. That, that, that's a reference to the believers in the early church, the holy ones, those set apart by the gospel. And as he goes, the text tells us, he goes and sees this one named Ananias. Now we don't know a whole lot about Ananias other than what's inferred in the text, that he's one of those saints, he's one of those believers in this town of Ida. And what we know of him was he was a man who was paralyzed. The text tells us he had been paralyzed for eight years, so he wasn't like the, the lame beggar that Peter had encountered outside of the temple earlier in Acts. This was a man that through some type of event, some type of illness or situation, had become paralyzed eight years before. And what the Scripture tells us clearly is during those eight years that he was paralyzed, he was bedridden. Peter approaches this man in verse 34 and says to him, Ananias, 
Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make up your bed. And immediately the scripture tells us he rose. The side note, parents, if you're looking for a good verse for your teenagers to memorize, rise and make up your bed. That's a pretty good one. Uh, You might view it as a miracle if they immediately rose and did that. Uh, It is a miracle here. Because this man had been paralyzed in this bed. He, He could not move. And Peter speaks this word to him. And then immediately the scripture tells us he rose. Now I want you to notice a couple of things that we learn in this situation. First notice that there's nothing in the text that indicates to us anything about Ananias' faith. Other than the inference that he's among these believers there, that there's nothing here that connects his faith, the amount of his faith, to his actually being healed. And that's important for us to recognize and notice. Because oftentimes, those who go by this title of faith healer, those who claim to have this gift of healing, that they connect that giftedness to the amount of faith that people have. And so they'll say to you, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. And so what do you say to those hundreds of people, those thousands who walk away who weren't healed? Well, perhaps they just didn't have enough faith. Notice here, there's nothing in this text that says Ananias prayed in faith, that he trusted in faith, that he asked in faith, that he cried out in faith. The indication from the text here is that he is laying there bedridden. Peter addresses him and says, Jesus Christ heals you. This was a sovereign, miraculous act of God in his life. Not a result of his exercising of faith. And we need to be mindful of that. Because there are many today who would tell us, if you just have enough faith. And sadly, oftentimes, the way they want us to exercise that faith is through writing a check. It's through making a donation. When I was in college, one of these faith healers came through the city I went to college in and had a large crusade there and advertised it as an opportunity for you to be healed of your suffering, of your diseases. I did not go to this crusade event, but one of the men who went to the church I went to uh, actually worked in this arena where this event took place. And he later told my pastor and a number of us about what he witnessed there. On the very first night of this crusade, this, this faith healer came out and, and his first announcement was this. The first ten people who come forward with a thousand dollar gift of faith, God has a special blessing for them. And do you know what happened? People were lined up with their checks. See, people desperately, desperately want to experience healing. They they, they want to experience this. And for many of them, they won't hesitate to, to write a check as an exercise of their faith. Is that what God calls us to do? Does He say that's how we exercise our faith? I call your attention on that question to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out the apostles and specifically, He sends them out to spread the gospel message. And in sending them out, He says specifically to them, they will perform miracles. They will heal people. 
He says this to them in sending them out. You received without paying, therefore give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. Jesus, when he sends out the apostles on this ministry, part of which will be the gospel will be confirmed through these signs and wonders. He specifically says to them, you should not receive payment for this. You're not to ask for payment for this. And that's good for us to consider when we hear those who say, no, no, if you have enough faith, then then you'll write a check. If you give that gift, then God has a blessing for you. That's certainly not what we see happen here in Acts chapter 9, where Peter goes to Aeneas and he says to him, rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. And then notice what happens in verse 35. Then all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. What was the direct result of Aeneas being healed? The gospel message was confirmed and the gospel message was believed. That is the role we see of many signs and wonders in the book of Acts. That is one of the ways that the gospel message then was confirmed. So, the question for us today is this. If that's how God confirmed the gospel message in Acts chapter 9, is that the way God confirms the gospel message today? See, I make it a point every Lord's Day when I preached, no matter what text we're going through, to always be very clear to share the gospel. To always be very clear to call our attention to the gospel. The gospel that helps us to see that we are indeed sinners That Christ has died for our sin. That He defeated and conquered death. And in Him we can have life if we will repent and place our faith in Jesus. When I preach that message, does it need to be confirmed then as it was confirmed in Acts chapter 9? And if so, well, why aren't people getting healed here each Lord's Day? When I preach is the confirmation of the gospel I proclaim to you that someone in this room must then be healed. Is the confirmation of that message that someone in this room must be raised from the dead. Or is there a different way that God confirms the gospel message today? And I believe what we see clearly in the scripture is that there is a different way it's confirmed today. There is a greater way it is confirmed today because what we find is the gospel is confirmed through the very words of the Lord in this revealed text, the Bible, to us. See, when Peter is proclaiming the gospel in Lydda and in Joppa, he he doesn't have the complete canon of Scripture. And we have to remember the book of Acts is a, a transitional book. And as these things are taking place... God is confirming that gospel message through these signs and wonders. Now, I'm not saying that that means there's no place for signs or wonders today. And I'm not saying that that means God doesn't heal people today. But what I'm presenting to you is the role of those things is different today than what we see God using those things for in Acts chapter 9. Today, we have the written Word of God. How do you know that the gospel I preach to you is the actual gospel from Jesus Christ. Because you can open up your Bible 
And you can confirm whether or not it is the correct gospel or not. And this is very important for us. Because we live in a very sensational day and age. And we live in a day and age where people, they want that confirmation through signs and wonders. And so people want God to show them something. They'll say, well, if God would just show me, if He would just perform this way, if He would just do this thing, then I would believe. But the Scripture tells us very clearly, friends, He has shown us. He has performed miraculous things. And He has given to us a great gift in His Word. And He has said, this is how the Word, the Gospel, must be confirmed. It must be consistent with what's in this text. And if it's not, be warned. Paul writes it this way in Galatians chapter 1. And I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Even in Paul's day, people were already abandoning the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that was confirmed by the apostles through signs and wonders. Paul says he can't can't believe, he's astonished that they're already turning from it. Then he says this, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But listen then to what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I, we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Friends, that means if you and I walk into a bookstore even a Christian bookstore, and we pick up a book where the author says, an angel from the Lord told me to say this. Jesus Himself spoke to me and said this. We are to take every one of those statements cautiously and we are to measure them against the Word of God. And if they are not consistent with this Word, Then Paul says to the Galatians, let that person be cursed to hell because their words are not from the Lord. And we need to be very careful, church, because we are so easily swayed by people who say, well, they've heard a message from Jesus. Or by people who say they've heard a message from an angelic being. Or people who said they've had such a wonderful experience and now they want to tell us about it. Friends, we don't need those testimonies. What we need, we have in front of us. The written, revealed word of God. And God uses this word in the life of His church today that we might know who He is And we might know what his plan for us is. Peter did not have that complete word. And so we see here in the book of Acts, God using these healings, these miracles, in order to confirm that word. But what we also see is this, point two. Those healings and miracles, as they did in the book of Acts, and as they should today, they should always bring glory to God. But they're not the only way that God is glorified. God will be glorified in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 9 
through Ananias being healed, but that's not the only way he is glorified. And I want to call your attention to that as we look at the next section of this text. Nearby town in Joppa, there's a disciple here, we read. Luke tells us her name is Tabitha. That's the Hebrew version of her name. The Greek version is Dorcas. We read here she was full of good works and acts of charity. It seems from the text that she was a a firm, committed believer. Uh, She served other people. In fact, after she dies, the ladies that are in there are are showing Peter. Here's garments she made us. Here's things she did for us. She has quite a testimony of faith. The text tells us that they send for Peter, hearing he's only 10 miles away in this other town, and they ask him to come very quickly. But again, notice here that there's no indication of why they're asking him to come. The text doesn't tell us that they call on him thinking that he's going to raise Tabitha from the dead. In fact, up to this point in the book of Acts, Peter has not been involved in raising anyone from the dead. And this is the only situation in Acts where Peter does raise someone for the dead. Right? There's only two times in the book of Acts you see someone raised from the dead. One is here where Peter raises Tabitha. And the other one is a situation where Paul is proclaiming the gospel and preaching. And I appreciate this about Paul. He and I share something in common. As he is preaching, someone falls asleep. Now, this man's name is Eutychus. And he's actually sitting in a window. And not only does he fall asleep, he falls out the window and dies. Some of y'all get off a little easy when you nod off in here. Eutychus actually dies. And what happens? Paul goes and he is raised from the dead. Those are the only two situations you see like that in the book of Acts. But we read one of them here with Peter. But there's not an indication that these people were asking Peter to come, thinking that's what was going to happen. But that is what happens. Peter comes. uh, He asks those widows who are mourning and grieving again. Tabitha's died. Uh, They are proceeding as they would with a dead person. They are mourning and grieving her death. They are preparing her body for burial. But Peter here asks them to go outside, and he kneels down and he prays, and he says to her, Tabitha, arise. And the scripture tells us she opened up her eyes, he takes her hand, he he invites the other people in. And then again, notice what happens. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. You see, that's the same thing that happened with Ananias when he is paralyzed and raised to walk. When Tabitha's dead and she is raised to life, the same result happens. People in that region believe the gospel message. Why? Because God used these miraculous events to confirm the gospel message. But I want you to recognize something. God doesn't always raise people from the dead in the book of Acts. We've already read about Stephen. You remember what happens with Stephen? Stephen is proclaiming the gospel. Stephen is sharing about the need for people to put their faith in Jesus. And Stephen doesn't fall out of a window while somebody's preaching. Stephen is beaten to death with rocks. Stephen, the text tells us, as he is being beaten to death, actually gazes into heaven and sees Jesus himself standing to receive him. Now I want to ask you something. If God is glorified through raising people from the dead, would He not have been glorified 
with Stephen being raised from the dead? If God uses events like this that the gospel message might be confirmed, wouldn't that have been a great confirmation of the gospel when Stephen is stoned to death? If rather than dying, if he were to stand up and be alive, would not many have turned to the Lord there as they do here in Acts chapter 9? Or what about James? Later in Acts, we'll read about James being killed with the sword by the king for proclaiming the gospel. Would not many people have come to faith had he not been killed? But what if every believer in the book of Acts, when they were killed for the gospel, when they were martyred, what if every single one of them rose and came back from the dead? Surely God could have used that. But He didn't choose to do that. And in that, I want you to see something. What we see more often in the book of Acts than the healing and the miracles, what we see more often is suffering. And we see God uses suffering for His glory. We live in a day and age where many will say to us, If you have enough faith, you'll be healed. But what they refuse to see is that there are times in our lives where the Lord does not want us to be healed. That there are times in our lives in God's sovereign plan where He allows suffering in our lives. And He allows it for a purpose. God is not simply glorified when people who are paralyzed walk Our people who are dead come back to life. God is glorified through suffering as well. And we see that very clearly in the book of Acts. Think of Paul. Paul will be beaten. Paul will be shipwrecked. Paul will be bitten by snakes. There's one situation where Paul is stoned and beaten just like Stephen was. And those who are beating him actually believe they have beat him to the point of death and they drag his beaten, bloody body outside of town and leave him for a dead. And he still lives through that. What are we to say about those things? What we're to say is what Jesus said to us that we who follow Christ would suffer. And that God can still be glorified in our suffering. And what that means is that when someone is sick, when we are suffering, it's not a bad thing for us to pray for them to be healed. It's not a bad thing for me to hold my child in my arms in a hospital and pray that the Lord would heal her. But what we need to understand is God can be glorified in ways outside of that healing. And sometimes, many times, He chooses to bring Himself glory in ways that we would never sign up for. See, nobody's going to sign up for that. If I stand before you today and say, okay guys, listen, the first ten people to write a thousand dollar check and bring it up front here, you're going to get an extra amount of suffering in your life. (laughs) Who's going to do that? But does God use suffering? Absolutely. And is God glorified through suffering? Absolutely. But the good news of the Gospel, friend, is that for those in Christ, our suffering is temporal. 
And the good news for us in Jesus Christ is this. God still works in miraculous ways. And the most miraculous thing that you and I can ever experience is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Point three. The greatest miracle God has ever given us is the Gospel of Jesus. You think about what you see happening here in Acts chapter 9. Peter goes to a man who is paralyzed in a bed. That is a picture, friends, of you and I born in our sin. You and I, the Scripture tells us, are paralyzed. We are unable to do any good thing before a holy and righteous God. You might be able to be a moral person to your neighbor. You might be able to do some things that make you stand out among a bunch of sinful people. But the Scripture says we are paralyzed in our sin. And the Gospel comes to us and says, get out of that bed and walk in the newness of life. The Gospel is a picture of what we see Tabitha of here. She is dead in a bed. She is a corpse unable to do anything. That's what the Gospel says is true of us in our sin. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. But when the Gospel is proclaimed to us, the message is this. Get up and walk. And in Christ, when we repent and place our faith in Him, we are able to walk in the newness of life. That's why Paul says it very clearly in Romans 6. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. See, those who present to us this idea that somehow the pinnacle of our faith is if we just have enough faith, God will heal us. If we just have enough faith, even we can see the dead raised like Tabitha. I believe they're presenting to us something very short-sighted. Because here's the biblical reality. This man, Aeneas, who got out of that bed, one day he laid back down in a bed and never got up, and he died. Tabitha, who was raised from the dead, one day she still died. So you and I may pray that God removes that cancer from us, that God removes that suffering from our child, but the biblical truth is, even if that happens, one day we will all die. But the great hope we have in the Gospel is that while we may die, we will still live. That means for those of you who have sat and you have seen a Tabitha, you have seen a loved one in bed, dead, and perhaps have prayed and hoped and thought about this text, Lord, if You would just give them life, what you and I need to recognize is that the Lord Jesus Himself, for those in Christ, looked at that bed and said, Daughter, son, get up and walk. And they are now with the Lord and they are experiencing the newness of life. That means for those who we may love, who are paralyzed, or dying of a cancer, or a sickness, or a disease, or whatever it is, in Christ, the Lord says to them, one day they will suffer no more. The greatest miracle we have, friends, is not walking into a hospital 
and saying, get out of that bed and seeing somebody get out of that bed. The greatest miracle we have is the picture of a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more pain and no more suffering. And there is healing for eternity. The problem with the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, is it's not healthy and wealthy enough. And it looks to this world and says, you can have it here. Friends, the Lord looks to us and says, we are passing through. (laughs) And we may suffer and we may have trials. And the Lord in His goodness and sovereignty, He may bring healing in our life like He did here for Ananias. He may work miraculously in this life like He did in Tabitha's. But He promises us true healing and true miracles one day in a new heaven and a new earth. And perhaps the reason He brings so many to us in our churches today coming looking for that, that healing, that disease, that sickness, the reason that our, our prayer request lists are, are filled with requests for people who are sick, who are hurting, who are suffering, perhaps in that what the Lord is giving us an opportunity to do is to tell people about a miracle greater than the one they're asking for. It is to tell them about a healing that's not temporal, but eternal, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the message we are to take to a lost and dying world. That's the message that's here for you today. And if you've yet to receive that message and place your faith in Jesus, then we invite you to do that now. If you would, pray to that end with me. Father God, we thank you for the miracle of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that death does not reign over us, that in Christ we have been made alive. Lord, I pray for those today who perhaps are hurting who are suffering, perhaps they have cried out to you and prayed over and over again that you might heal them. Lord, I I pray for healing. But as I pray for that, Lord, I know from your word that perhaps in my life and perhaps in others' lives, Lord, you, you have that suffering there for a reason and you will use that for your glory. And so, Father, help us in times of healing and in times of suffering, to praise You the same. Lord, to bring You glory the same. Help us, Lord, to suffer well. Lord, for those who have yet to experience the miracle of the Gospel, of what it means for dead people to be brought to life, for paralyzed people to get up and walk, Lord, I pray that through the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would make that Gospel very clear to them today that they might respond. We pray for all of this in the name of our King Jesus. Amen. Church, if you would stand together as we offer an opportunity for response, an invitation for you to respond however the Lord might be calling you to. You may need to take these moments just to simply pray to respond to the Lord. Perhaps God has brought suffering in your life and today He's saying to you through His Word, friends, suffer well. Perhaps you know of someone suffering. Perhaps the Lord is prompting you to to pray for them to be healed of that. 